Good morning, everybody. So wonderful to see all of you on this holiday weekend here. Uh, let us begin with a prayer. Dear God, we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit here with us this morning, through which we praise you and through which you reveal yourself to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. It was December of 1999. I had just turned 20. While my friends at Overland College were sliding into winter break and partying like it was, well, 1999, something very odd and unexpected had just happened to me. I had just become a Christian. The Holy Spirit works in mysterious ways. Entering college, the last thing that I could imagine happening was that I would soon have my own conversion experience, become a religion major, and follow this course that's led me right to this pulpit right now. No way. At that point in my life, I had given up on church and religion. I was basically agnostic. I may have even felt that organized religion was a bit of a scam. The events of the next two years would change all of that. Now, how I found myself in a black church in Oberlin, Ohio one Sunday morning, having an unexpected and overwhelming encounter with Jesus, is my own testimony today about a larger theme that I want to contemplate with you. The workings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Before I share the rest of this story, though, let us begin today where our scripture begins, at the Last Supper. Today's Gospel reading from John has Jesus at the Last Supper giving a final sermon to the disciples. Jesus is at pains to give them final instructions before his arrest and crucifixion. He wants to make sure that the disciples understand what is to come. While he will be taken away, they will not be left alone. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will come to them to be with them forever. Jesus mentions this five different times at the table that night as they partake of the Last Supper. The Holy Spirit is coming to you. I will not leave you orphans. I promise. One can imagine the disciples' confusion and mixture of emotions at that Last Supper. Jesus is going to be betrayed by one of them and taken away? What? They seem to be in shock. As they are reeling from this, he keeps telling them that the Holy Spirit will come to them when he is gone. I can imagine the disciples leaning across the table there, whispering to each other, what is Jesus talking about? He's leaving and the Holy Spirit is coming? What does this mean? In two weeks we'll celebrate Pentecost, the birth of the church. The day the Holy Spirit breaks in upon the disciples in dramatic fashion and begins to speak through them and minister through them. So here, in between Easter and Pentecost, we are perched at a moment to consider Jesus' promise again. For as the disciples sat at that meal 2,000 years ago, so we also gather around that same table today. This is a mystery and a profound truth in our faith. Jesus is also speaking to us. The Holy Spirit is promised to you. What does this mean? 
course, today the Holy Spirit is a foundational tenet of our faith. God, the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, the third divine person in the Trinity. We pray through the Holy Spirit and we invoke it in our prayer. We pray all these things in your name and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, though, I invite you to consider the meaning of these doctrines for you personally. That the Holy Spirit is a living reality, a divine presence in our midst. Do we experience it as an active player in our spiritual lives? Is that what we have been promised? What would it look like for Jesus' promise to be fully realized in our lives? Well, for those early disciples, it was an overwhelming, life-altering experience. The book of Acts, from which we heard Paul's sermon to the Athenians today, chronicles the lives of those disciples in the early Christian community after Jesus' death and resurrection. The very first thing that happens in Acts is the promise from Jesus to the disciples, the same promise that we heard in John. Before ascending, he tells them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Indeed, they do. On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit breaks in upon the disciples like a violent wind, and from that point forward, the Holy Spirit takes center stage in the narrative. It is the divine presence with them, actively working through them and in them. The Spirit accomplishes extraordinary things in the lives of the people it touches. The disciples receive power from it. They receive gifts. They speak through it. They minister through it. In the first day alone, 3,000 people are added to their numbers. That's a goal for church growth. <laughs> the Holy Spirit turns their lives upside down. It's almost like a hurricane coming through, infusing their spiritual lives with the power and wisdom and love of God. They have a new and powerful sense of their own roles, their own callings, in the work of the Spirit to build God's kingdom. Indeed, Acts says that this is the same Spirit that spoke through David and all the prophets. It is the same Spirit that descended on Jesus like a dove at the River Jordan and spoke through him throughout his ministry. The disciples have been invited into a special, intimate relationship with the Spirit of God which formerly seemed to be reserved only for the most special people, for Moses, the prophets, the Messiah himself. Now the Messiah has taken what he has and given it to them. And given it to us. This invitation, this promise of an intimate relationship with God through the Holy Spirit, this is our promise. We are the heirs of this extraordinary spiritual gift. Jesus beautifully describes this intimacy in the same sermon from John. On that day the Spirit comes, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The relationship between Jesus and God the Father, the most extraordinary example of love and intimacy between a human being and God, that relationship is in us. So the promise of the Holy Spirit means for us, first of all, that we have access to a special sort of relationship with God. The 
Bible suggests that there are profound blessings and gifts that come with this relationship. And there is also an expectation, a requirement even, for us on our end of the deal. Like any relationship, there are two sides to it. This is crucial for our consideration. Jesus issues two commandments that are directly connected to the fulfillment of the spiritual promise. First and foremost, in the Last Supper sermon to the disciples, he tells them, this is the commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He says this to them repeatedly, as many times as he also promises them the Spirit. These are the twin themes of his last sermon to them. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will send you an advocate. Therefore, we also have a responsibility and expectation in our relationship with God. We are commanded to love and serve each other as Jesus himself exemplified. There's one other commandment as well that Jesus gives to disciples at the beginning of Acts. He commands them to stay in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. In order to receive the promise of the Spirit, they must put themselves in the place where the Spirit will be. Thus the two instructions. We are to love one another as he has loved us, and we are to put ourselves in the place where the Spirit will move. So there is a divine gift and a divine requirement. Let us start with the gift. What a profound piece of good news this whole thing is. As Paul testifies to the Athenians in our reading from Acts, a God that is unknown to you will become known. Or as he says elsewhere, we will be known by him. Now to know someone in the Bible often means more than simply being acquainted with them. The man knew his wife Eve and they conceived and bore a son. To be known by God means that God draws intimately close to us in a bond of love. In him we live and move and have our being, as Paul says. The promise of the Holy Spirit is a promise of relationship, of intimate relationship with God. Well, it may be possible, as Christians have been coming to church for a while, it's almost start to take this idea for granted. We hear it all the time. Here we are though, tiny creatures on this tiny planet, orbiting a ball of fire in some little pocket of the universe. One way to interpret our situation is that we're out here all alone, insignificant, meaningless in the scheme of things. From that perspective, if there is a God, God would seem quite unknown. Our faith has a response to that, though, that is really quite radical. The creator of this whole thing <laughs> wants to have a personal relationship with you. How amazing and unlikely is that? It is the Spirit that makes this a living reality for us. It is through the Spirit that Jesus and God are revealed to us and dwell in us. To truly absorb the meaning of Jesus' promise to us, then, can be a life-altering experience. It certainly was for me. So entering college, I never imagined that I would study religion. I was curious about a whole range of ideas and topics, including philosophy. I enjoyed asking deep questions about life. 
At that point, most of my conclusions were fairly skeptical. We can't really know anything. And maybe there's not really a deeper meaning to life at all. But still, I love to contemplate it. Basically, just out of curiosity, I took a philosophy of religion class. And this exposed me to a whole range of theological thinking that I had never encountered. Debates about the existence of God began to captivate me. The argument from design, as it was called, particularly caught my attention. When we consider the intricate workings and laws of the universe, the amazing way that all of this fits together and works together, it seems to speak of a divine mind. I began to contemplate the idea that there was a divine presence here in reality with us and behind reality. And though I was not quite religious yet, per se, I was becoming more and more open to this idea of God. Then I met James Knight. So James Knight was my age. He was about 20. Um, he was a young African-American guy from Chicago. I met him. He was on our intramural basketball team, and he happened to be the best basketball player I'd ever seen in my life. He could do a 360-degree turn and dunk the basketball. It's pretty nice to have him on our intramural basketball team. We were undefeated that year. Anyway, I took a liking to James. He had a very gentle persona, a very kind aura about him that was striking. And I overheard one day while we were playing basketball that he was preaching. I was very intrigued by that. He was my age, you know? We were basically kids. James is preaching? So I decided I was going to go and check it out. So I went that morning to the lobby of a dorm. And as I got to the door, I remember feeling this hesitation. There was this loud singing inside, a sort of charismatic service I could tell was going on. I wasn't quite sure if I was ready to go in, but I felt this pull nonetheless, and I went in. As soon as I walked in the room, I felt the thickness of this presence, unmistakable, tangible, overwhelming. I sat down in the back, and James started to preach. He preached for an hour with no notes. He was on fire. He said, God is going to do a new thing today. And he was right. Suddenly I was overwhelmed by this presence that I knew to be Jesus. That was the day that I became a Christian, convincingly, as an adult. That day changed my life forever. So as I reflect on those times, Thinking about this promise of the Holy Spirit in, my, in our lives, how can we more fully live into it? A few things come to mind about that experience for me. This relationship that we have with God, there are certain guidelines Jesus lays down, right? Certain commandments he gives the disciples. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was putting myself in the place to receive the Spirit. On the surface, Oberlin College might not seem like that place. It's a bastion for progressive thinking, critiquing the power structures, all of which I found pretty cool and interesting. But it can be a place that's pretty critical of religion. To have a born-again conversion experience there was something of an anomaly. One thing about Oberlin, though, was that it was a very open place, very open for asking questions, engaging new ideas, like the Athenians that Paul is preaching to. We love to talk about new things. 
people would get very inspired about whatever they had just read. And I was catching the spirit of openness. It was this openness that allowed me to go to that church that morning to experience this amazing and unexpected thing in my life. Being open to the unexpected is part of what God calls us to in the spirit. Another thing that happened along those lines is I was willing to push myself out of my comfort zone. When I got to the door, I wanted to turn back, but something was pulling me in. For us to fully realize the promise of the Holy Spirit, we might have to abandon all the things that we're used to. We might have to push our comfort zone in new ways. If God is going to do a new thing, maybe we have to be willing to do a new thing. So these two things stand out to me as I'm reflecting on what it means to live into this promise of the Holy Spirit. And that day changed my life forever. Now, one thing that comes of this, the Holy Spirit is promised to you, it's promised to all of us. So what happens if you don't feel like you've had this charismatic experience? You don't feel like the Holy Spirit has blown in through the door and knocked you off your feet? Does that mean that you're not experiencing the promise? I don't think it means that at all. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives all the time. Whether we're aware of it or not, whether we have ecstatic experience of it or not, that's not really the point. Ecstatic experience is just an immediate awareness of it, an intensified experience of it. Either way, it's there, it's working in our lives. So as we lean into this promise, one thing that we can do is just try to be more aware of how it might be working for us right now. Recently, I started to keep a journal, try to list five miracles a day. Miracles are happening all around us. This has been a profound experience for me. Just opening my eyes to the little miracles that are happening every day. This is one way that we can lean into this promise. Also, the commandment to love and to serve is the other end of these guidelines in our, in our relationship with God. To love and to serve. How do we put ourselves in the place to love and to serve? Two weeks from today is Pentecost. On that day, I'm going to go on a mission trip again with some people from our church. I'm very much looking forward to this. This is the fourth year that I've done this. Kathleen came with me last year. It was awesome. <laughs> now, in my recent life, there's nothing like a mission trip for experiencing the Holy Spirit. You're out there for a week, sleeping on the floor, pushing yourself way out of your comfort zone, doing things completely for other people, not for yourself. First year I was on mission and in the cafeteria there was a big sign that says, it's not about me. The mission experience calls you to step out of yourself and your everyday, everyday concerns and even everyday needs. And to take part in something that the Holy Spirit is doing. Put yourself in the place where the Spirit will move. These mission trip experiences for me inspire me for the whole rest of the year. I can't wait to go back. People that you can't wait to go back to the 110 degree heat, sleeping on the floor. I can't wait to go back. The Spirit operates in service and in love. So in whatever way it is, whether it's traveling on a mission, doing something here locally, <coughs> serving, serving people in your own family, put yourself in that place of love 
And that's how you're putting yourself in the place of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' commandment to us. So as we look forward to Pentecost, to the promise of the Holy Spirit in our lives, no matter what our prior experience is, let us expect a new thing to happen. God is going to do a new thing. Let us be willing to be open to that new thing, to push ourselves out of our comfort zones, maybe to love and serve in a new way. For the advocate, the comforter, the spirit of truth, the one who reveals God to you and will guide you into all things, will reveal all things to you, is promised to you. Let us put ourselves in the place to receive it. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at oursaviourmv.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.